Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. At the conclusion of his third and final missionary journey, against the counsel of the brothers in Ephesus and even against the warning of the Holy Spirit, Paul elects to travel to Jerusalem in what proves to be a very hostile environment. We'll see this extraordinary story unfold and its real significance unveiled on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and based on the ministry of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee. We have Witness Lee's 1984 recorded message from Acts once again today, and also Ed Marks is with us to examine, I think, a very significant event in the long history of God's move on earth. Ed, this is a very interesting picture from the book of Acts, isn't it? Yes, Chris, it is. It's a marvelous picture that we're going to see in Acts 21 today. And I think we'll see, Chris, that this is just not some historical record, but it is very applicable to our situation as believers on earth today. And as we look at these verses in Acts 21, we see that the Apostle Paul was compelled, it seems, by his desire to go to Jerusalem and visit the church and the leading ones there. He seemed aware of the climate that awaited him, full of threats, danger for him personally. We even see him warned repeatedly by God the Spirit speaking in the members. Why, Ed, do you suppose that against all of this, he still had such a desire to go to Jerusalem? Well, Chris, like you said, through the members of the body, the Spirit spoke to Paul strongly, warning him not to set foot in Jerusalem. If you look in Acts 21, 4, It says the disciples told Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Then you look at verses 10 through 12 of the same chapter, and these verses tell us that a certain prophet named Agabus prophesied that the Jews in Jerusalem would bind Paul and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And it says he spoke this by the Holy Spirit. This was a prophecy. But Paul rejected the Spirit speaking here and still went to Jerusalem. And this is a good question. How can we explain this? Well, if we look at Acts 20, 23, we know what kind of person Paul was. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. But he said, I consider my life of no account as if precious to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. This is Acts 20, 24. Paul was an absolute person, and he wanted to finish his course even at the cost of his life. His life meant nothing to him. The Lord Jesus meant everything to him. He was this kind of absolute person. 
And I think regardless of the warnings, he wanted to go to Jerusalem because he was so burdened for his people, for the Jews. Even if you look in Romans 9, verses 1 through 3, you can see this. He even says he has great grief and pain in his heart for his kinsmen. He even went to the extreme of saying that he wished that he himself were a curse for the sake of his kinsmen according to the flesh. So he was very burdened for the Jewish people that they would turn to Christ. Also, he was very burdened to clear up the mixture of the church in Jerusalem because most of the believers there were converts from Judaism. What we see in Acts 21 is a mixture of Judaism with God's New Testament economy, with his New Testament plan to dispense himself into the believers so that his purpose can be accomplished. So this was the reason that Paul felt compelled to go to Jerusalem And ultimately, we see in God's sovereignty, this ended up being God's will, and something quite marvelous came out for God's plan. Well, Ed, you mentioned the mixture that existed in the situation in Jerusalem among the Christian believers there at the time. And of course, we've seen repeatedly, this book is a book of a dispensational transfer, and this transfer seems to be hung up, even somewhat frustrated by this mixture. Let's go ahead and join Witness Lee with this fellowship from Acts chapter 21. Chapter 21. After that kind of solemn and dear fellowship Paul had with the elders in Ephesus, he and his company went on from Asia Manor, and they arrived at Jerusalem. Verse 17 says in chapter 21, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us, you see, Luke was there, to James. The key point of the problem was James. So Paul, with his co-workers, went to see James. And all the elders were present. This indicates James was taking the lead there. He was the top one the leading one among the elders. 19. And having greeted them, he related one by one the things which God did among the Gentiles through his ministry. He was wise, not to teach, but to present the things God did through his ministry. Verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God, but... They said to him, you observe, brother, how many thousands? Actually, the words myriads. How many tens thousands? There are among the Jews who have believed, and all are zealous for the law. A strong word. All are zealous for the law. By this you could see James and Peter They have made the Lord's New Testament economy absolutely a mixture with the old. Don't you think that James and the elders here are promoting? They are promoting this mixture. They don't reject the faith in Christ. They don't oppose this. Yet, they also take in the Old Testament. And they are zealous for the Old Testament. So, no doubt, they have made 
and mix you there in Jerusalem. We all have to see this. James and the elder told Paul the thousand who were zealous for the law, being instructed concerning you, that you are teaching all the Jews throughout the nations apostasy from Moses. A poor word. The fact was not wrong. The fact was that Paul told us he put this law aside. He said, as to the law, I am died. That means what? That means I have nothing to do with the law. I don't keep the law before he came here in writing Galatians. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, you can read that. He told us clearly, as to the law, I am the dead. I have nothing to do with the law. But they twisted by using the word apostasy. And apostasy is heretical. But Paul's departure from the law was not an apostasy. It was a truth. They pick up the fact and they twist it. Not to circumcise and not to work according to customs of the dead letters are really according to God's New Testament economy. Not to circumcise? Is this not according to God's New Testament economy? And not to work according to customs of dead letters? All these are really according to God's New Testament economy. But these were considered by the unbelieving Jews and even by the Jewish believers in Christ to be apostasy from God's Old Testament economy. To put the Old Testament economy aside, that is not an apostasy. That is the carrying out of truth. But anyhow, James and the other elders used this kind of situation to persuade Paul. Ed, this scene in Jerusalem is really interesting. It's even easy to get distracted from the significance of what's really happening here by all of the outward events surrounding Paul. But I want to focus on one aspect particularly, and that is the misuse of this term apostasy here as it was applied to Paul and his word regarding the law and what place the law played in the lives of the Christians. Ed, what is apostasy and why was Paul accused of it? Well, Chris, when we use the word apostasy, we're talking about a matter of heresy. Apostasy means a departure. That means an apostate, someone who who is in apostasy, has departed from the central lane of God's heart's desire in the New Testament to dispense himself in Christ as the Spirit into the believers so that they could be filled with the unsearchable riches of Christ to become the unique expression of God as the body of Christ in this universe. We don't want to depart from the central lane of God's New Testament plan, his New Testament economy. But when we come to Acts 21, what we see is that those in Jerusalem accused Paul of apostasy. And what we see here, Chris, is the negative influence of Judaism on the believers in Jerusalem. Even the main verse here that we see this from is Acts 21.21. James tells Paul that the believing Jews were informed concerning Paul that he was teaching all the Jews throughout the nations apostasy from Moses, 
telling them not to circumcise their children and not to walk according to the customs. Well, there's a partial truth here. Actually, Paul did teach the believers that in God's New Testament economy, the law is not the central thing. The central thing is Christ as grace. That means Christ being dispensed into us for our enjoyment to free us from the bondage of the law. In Galatians, Paul told us that he died to the law, that he might live to God. And so Paul was no longer pursuing the law. In God's New Testament economy, the law is over. Christ is the reality of everything in the Old Testament. We need to pursue Christ, gain Christ, enjoy Christ, and be filled with Christ, and walk according to Christ as the Spirit in our spirit to spontaneously fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The principle of the law is over in God's New Testament economy. Paul also did tell us that circumcision is not something for the New Testament. The reality of circumcision is that we believers need to cut off the flesh. We need to have nothing to do with the flesh. And in the New Testament, we shouldn't walk according to any customs or traditions of the Old Testament because Christ is the reality of every positive thing in the Old Testament. Now we walk according to Christ. To teach this, though, is not apostasy. They thought this was apostasy. Actually, what Paul was teaching was the truth of God's New Testament economy. So the opposers twisted the things to make it seem like Paul was teaching apostasy when he was really teaching the genuine truth of God's New Testament plan, his New Testament economy. Ed, how can we apply Paul's being accused of this apostasy to today's situation? Is there any relevance to our situation? Yes, Chris. What we need to see is that as New Testament believers, we need to put aside everything of the Old Testament economy, the Old Testament plan and dispensation, and come fully into God's New Testament economy, his New Testament plan and dispensation. And we need to come out of everything of Judaism. A Jew who believes is no longer a Jew in Judaism. He is a believer in Christ. Even Paul said he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul was a Jew among the Jews. But he said, I count all of these things, all my attainments in Judaism, as dung that I might gain Christ and be found in him. So we believers, we may think, Well, here I am. I'm a believer. What do I have to do with Judaism? I've come out of Judaism. I'm a New Testament believer. But we need to realize that even in Christianity, many of the principles of Judaism are there that we need to come out of. And in Judaism, there were four main things that constituted Judaism. One was the material temple. Another was the mediatorial class of priests. The third thing was in Judaism, you had the earthly blessings. And the fourth thing in Judaism was you had the law. Even today in Christianity, we can see these four things. How do we apply the material temple? In the Old Testament, people had to go to a material temple to worship God. But in the New Testament, we see that the place of worship and the worshiper are one. God is spirit, and we need to worship him in spirit. Today, the believers are the temple of God. The church as the body of Christ is God's temple. If we have the concept that a building on a corner is a church, 
a physical building is a church or a place of worship, this shows that we are in the principle of Judaism. It's not that place that's the place of worship. The worshiper and the place of worship are one in God's New Testament economy. In the same way, the mediatorial class in the Old Testament, you had a group of priests, and then you had the rest of the children of Israel, whom these priests contacted God for and served God for. But what we see is that was not God's original intention. God's original intention is for all the believers to be priests, for all the believers to serve God, for all the believers to be functioning members of the body of Christ. Well, regretfully, we still have this principle of Judaism among us with the clergy-laity system. Some are clergy, some are laity. Some serve, some preach, some speak, some sing, and we sit there and we're the layman and we listen and we don't participate. This is not God's New Testament economy. All of us believers need to be pastors, need to be preachers, need to be ministers, need to be functioning priests, living members of the body of Christ. Then the third thing is the earthly blessings. Well, in the New Testament, the Lord tells us in Ephesians 1.3 that all the blessings in God's New Testament are spiritual blessings. Surely the Lord takes care of our physical needs. But the real blessing in God's New Testament economy is God himself. The triune God himself embodied in Christ and realized as the Spirit as our unique blessing. All the blessings in God's New Testament economy are spiritual blessings. Then finally, we have the law, Chris. In the New Testament, we don't have the outward letter of the law, the killing letter. What we have is Christ as the Spirit coming into us to be the law of the Spirit of life in us. Now, Christ has come into us, and he is our indwelling boss. He's our indwelling law. We need to follow him inwardly, enjoy him as the inner law of life, and spontaneously as we enjoy him, he regulates us, and he constitutes us into the living members of the body of Christ for his expression. So just by this brief fellowship, I hope we can see that we also need to come out of every principle of a Judaic mixture into the reality of God's New Testament plan, his New Testament economy, and brought back to Christ himself as our everything. Ed, we have a very short section remaining. Witness Lee is going to touch some of the key points in this story that we're seeing today. Let's rejoin him. Then verse 22, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. Not just propose, we tell you. It's a must. We tell you. Four men are with us. That must be four Jewish believers who have a vow on themselves. This is the Nazareth vow according to the context. Take these and be purified with them. The vowers of the Nazareth vow. The first thing was purify themselves in the presence of God. According to the custom existing at that time, the poor ones who could not pay or who could not afford to have the sacrifices, offerings, a number of offerings, that was quite expensive. Some 
could not afford to get the sacrifices, the rich ones could get their offerings for them. If you help them, then your help causes you to join them. Therefore, if you help them to get the offerings, that means you buy the offerings for them, you will be joined to them. Four will become five. Then you join them. You have to get yourself purified together with them. Take these, take these four, and be purified with these four, and pay their expenses, that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to do of which they have been instructed concerning you, but that you yourself also walk elderly, keeping the law. I will ask you, was Paul there keeping the law? But James and others told Paul to do this. Wasn't it a hypocrisy? Paul didn't keep the law. Paul was not keeping the law there. Yet he was told to do something indicating that he was keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided they should keep themselves from idol sacrifices and blood and anything strangled and fornication. Oh, to it. Then Paul took the four men. Oh, Paul. What are you doing? The following day, and having been purified with them, he took the practice. Having been, it was done already. Could you believe Paul would go with them into the temple? With them entered into the temple and gave a notice of the completion of the days of purification. Waiting until means waiting, waiting the offering to be offered for each one of them. He was purified among the four in temple, and he was waiting the priest to come at the end of the completion, that is the seventh day, to offer sacrifices for each one of them, including Paul. Ed, we have a portion here with a lot of things happening. Many people may not be that familiar with all of these events. And the point being made by Witness Lee and that we have touched some today regarding this entire sequence is very profound, very significant for the accomplishment of this dispensational transfer that's such a major element of the book of Acts. To lay hold of the real meaning of this, I think it's important to see what is really happening here. Review briefly the picture that we see and some of the main points that we're hearing from Witness Lee today. Chris, what we see is the negative influence of Judaism on the church in Jerusalem. So what you had in the church in Jerusalem, regretfully, was a mixture of the Old Testament Judaic practice with the New Testament realities of God's eternal purpose revealed in the New Testament. And if you look in Acts 21, verse 20, it's just amazing. I mean, James and the brothers there tell Paul, look how many myriads there are among the Jews who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law. I mean, this is shocking. 
What would have been marvelous if James would have said, look at the myriads of believers of Jews in Jerusalem that believed, and they're all zealous for Christ. They're all pursuing Christ. They're all consumed with Christ. They all want to be filled with Christ. This is a tragedy here in this verse. Then also we see, and Chris, this is very serious. You know, eventually they wanted Paul to perform an Old Testament vow to show the Jewish believers that, you know, Paul wasn't against the law. He wasn't against the things in Judaism. Well, in this vow that Paul performed, if you look at verse 26, at the end of this vow, they actually had to offer the sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices. This is so serious. And Paul talks about this in Hebrews 10, 29. He told the Hebrew believers there that if you go back to offer the Old Testament sacrifices, you trample underfoot the Son of God and you insult the Spirit of grace and you regard the blood of Christ as a common thing. The sacrifices in the Old Testament are over. Christ is the unique sacrifice in the New Testament for sin. He's the reality of all those Old Testament sacrifices. If Paul would have offered those offerings, he would have insulted the redemptive work of Christ. But thank the Lord, the Lord didn't allow this. He allowed a big uproar to take place. Paul never got a chance to offer those sacrifices. Anyway, we saw that Paul was accused of apostasy. Actually, he wasn't in apostasy. He was teaching the truth of God's New Testament economy. And what we see there is that actually the Lord realized the situation was incurable in Jerusalem. So what he did was he sovereignly allowed this uproar to take place. Paul got arrested by the Romans, you know, at the behest of the Jewish leaders. He got put in prison, and we may think this is terrible, but praise the Lord, God's economy got worked out in a wonderful way. When Paul was in prison, actually he did his greatest work. He wrote his last eight epistles of the New Testament. And these last eight epistles give us the most thorough, closest, deepest vision of God's New Testament economy in the entire New Testament. So this was under God's sovereignty. And then eventually, you know, the Lord prophesied this in Matthew 24, that uh, the Romans would come and destroy Jerusalem. This is a regrettable thing. But under God's sovereignty, this cleared up the mixture of the church there to free the believers to go on in the pure way of God's New Testament economy revealed in the New Testament. So we thank the Lord for Paul's absoluteness, and we thank the Lord for his sovereignty in using Paul, even in prison, to unveil the depths of God's heart's desire to us according to his eternal purpose. Ed, thank you very much for your help and your fellowship today. Come back very soon, will you please? Yeah, it's a pleasure, Chris. I'm looking forward very much to the next broadcast. In the meantime, let me give you our toll-free number very quickly. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Also, our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Ed Marks Today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening.
You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.